You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. Masterclass. But what I can help you with is acid reflux this afternoon. It is time for our masterclass. And I laugh about it, but this comes with my personal experience, uh, the, you know, with, with my own, my husband, my own husband, I was going to say, not someone else's husband, my husband. Um, and he battles. I have a, I have a husband who has, he's, he's, has chronic acid reflux. And, you know, many of us have that, at some point felt that burning sensation in our throats, whether you've had a very... Um, a greasy meal, an indulgent meal, um, and we know that we, we have the, the start of the acid reflux, we know it's coming, and acid reflux seems to be more common. Um, just with um, uh, my husband's story is a separate one, but more friends are telling me that they're battling now with acid reflux, and it's a more common condition, but for others, it, it can be chronic, it can be quite serious, and let me tell you what happens in my household, and my husband's had acid reflux for many, many years. He even had a procedure, something which I can't even pronounce properly, called a, a helimyotomy. It's, it's something that happened where they even moved his stomach over to the other side, and the reflux got worse. And, I mean, I lie next to this man, and I can hear the acid rise in his throat. I can hear it bubbling, and then I know that he's going to bolt out of bed, and he has to go and spit up a whole lot of foam. Sorry, I'm sorry if you're having a sandwich at this point, but this is what happens. You probably shouldn't be eating bread as well if you have acid reflux. But And, and, and he literally has to sleep sitting up that's what happens and and it can get that bad and i thought with and when he doesn't sleep i don't sleep and then we know comes the next day where he's tired and he's got the headaches and it affects his sinuses all of that happens and more and more people seem to be developing problems with acid um and then comes uh, you know uh, diagnosis of gout comes after that so all of these things and acid seems to be quite a problem so we thought that we tackle this in our masterclass because it is something that we actually take for granted we think okay i'm going to grab the gaviscon i'm going to grab the citrus soda it's a couple of hours of relief and you're back to square one so we thought how can we help people who actually can't afford to go and see specialists or may not actually know what exactly is going on inside their systems uh, just to just to get you some idea as to what might be going on and how urgent your situation might be or how, how bad your symptoms might be that it might be time to see a doctor so giving up some of her time uh, for us today is Dr. Rena Kara she's a specialist physician gastroenterologist uh, based at Life Bedford Gardens Hospital she has a special interest in inflammatory bowel disease and upper gastrointestinal disorders like reflux disease. I didn't even know that there was a thing like reflux disease. Uh, Doc, thanks so much for your time and thanks for coming in. And this is very scary, all these titles that you have and the things you specialize in. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Yuvega. It's, um, it's very good to be here because this problem is very widespread, as you yeah, said. Yeah. And so hoping we can answer some questions and put some worries and get some people to actually see the doctors that they need to see yeah. if, they, if it's urgent. Because it, can be, it can be quite devastating, the effects, and it can lead to more serious things. If you think that you're in pain from the acid now, it can get worse. So if you have uh, any questions you have uh, for, for the doc this afternoon, if you have something that's been troubling you, something's not quite right in your system and you want to know, could this be what I'm suffering from, give us a call, 011-883-0702. You can SMS us on 31702 or WhatsApp us on 072-702-1702 or send us a voice note via that number as well. Or you can tweet me at Yuveka R and we'll try our best to actually help you. But let's first start, Doc, with some very general questions and general questions on acidity in the body. Now, we know we have to maintain a certain pH level in our bodies, but when is it a problem? So what we must realize is that gastroesophageal reflux itself is happening to us all the time. It yeah. happens to most people. It's a normal physiologic phenomenon, but most of the time we don't have symptoms. 
But when we talk about gastroesophageal reflux disease, it's when the amount of acid actually exceeds the normal limit to a point where we are symptomatic and then we develop the complications thereof. And it's exceptionally common. It's mm, increasing mm. in prevalence all yes. over the world, mainly in the Western world. In America, we have up to 40% of the population saying they have at least one episode of reflux a month. 10% of the population and, and our levels in, of prevalence in this country are getting to that point where it's almost 10% of our population. So over a billion people in the world have gastroesophageal reflux disease. Wow. So it's often underestimated by these patients. Um, and we, they don't know what the symptoms typically are. And so, they, like you said, they reach for a little bit of Gaviscon and think it'll pass, mm, but often mm. it becomes debilitating. Yeah. It becomes a chronic issue. It just doesn't work anymore. Yeah, well, the, those things just don't work. Yeah. And so I think patients don't also realize the symptoms that of reflux that they need to look out for. So we talk about typical symptoms mm. and the typical mm. symptoms is that heartburn so yeah. you know what you everybody's seen the advert for gaviscon yes and you imagine that firefighter putting out that yes. fire yes. so it does it's called pyrosis because it feels burning yes. and it's behind the chest bone so it's a central retrosternal sensation of burning and pain especially after eating when lying down and when bending and stooping forward because mm. that increases mm. the pressure uh, patients can complain of difficulty swallowing, pain on swallowing, and yeah. they think, oh, something, food just got stuck. But it can be a sign of something more chronic and yeah. ongoing. And then lastly, where the food comes up into their mouth. And oh, so yes. that's where people say, yes. oh, I lie down and all of a sudden everything I ate a yeah. couple of hours before just comes yeah. up into the mouth. And it's different to vomiting because vomiting implies effort. Yeah. This is effortless, comes up into the mouth, they can't explain yeah. it. You don't feel it coming, you, don't, you, you, you know, know it's, it's, it's just there. It's unexpected. Yeah, it's just there. Yeah. But only 70% of patients with reflux actually only have these symptoms. Other patients have different symptoms, yeah. atypical symptoms. Things like chronic ear infections, post-nasal drips, hoarseness of the voice that they can't explain. And they'll say in the morning, i got to go, <clears throat> yeah. and it feels uncomfortable. Um, patients say, I don't know why my back teeth, they just don't, the, my dentist is complaining that mm, my teeth mm. hygiene is not that great or I'm losing enamel. It can be from chronic acid <laughs> exposure. Wow. Um, and halitosis, wheezing, yeah. asthmatics that are difficult to control sometimes mm. have long-standing reflux or reflux that's happening, causing this wheezing and tightness and coughing mm. that they can't explain, despite their efforts of And medication. what's the link, Doc? What's the link? Because they, they also complain of headaches. They yes. also complain of issues with sinuses. What's the link between so acid and those things? The, if, you, if you imagine it as a simple plumbing system, so we have the esophagus, which is the pipe that can that connects the back of the throat to mm. the stomach. Mm. We have the stomach that sits at the end of it. And then we have the, a valve at the junction between the two that should control one-way movement. Yeah. Okay. So the, the, the esophagus is, the ant, is like an anti-grade pump. The valve is there to have that the food move past into the stomach and should prevent it from going backwards. And the stomach, which should distend and act as a reservoir. So we can see that the stomach has a direct connection to the back of the throat and the mouth. And you have that long-standing reflux, you have inflammation, it's going to start affecting the sinuses that drain into the mm. back of the mouth, the ears that are connected to the throat. And that's how that sort of long-standing chronic inflammation causes the sinus issues, the post-nasal yeah. drips and the ear infections. Ear and infections as well. Recurrent okay. ear infections. That's Children, adults, both. That's interesting. Now, I know, like, okay, the, during pregnancy, a lot of us have, uh, we, we, we suffer with acid reflux. Even babies are born and, and, and uh, you know, suffer with, with acid reflux. You have special formulas, you mm -hmm. have to give them and all of that. But, you know, um, what, what are the causes of it? What are the, is, is it mostly just goes down to diet? 
Is it something that is in the blood? Is it something that's genetic? Because you often hear other conditions related to this, things like gout, right? Yes. And, you know, you have people going, oh, yes, you know, you hear from your dad, I have it, you're going to have it in it's a couple in of family. years. So what actually called pregnancy, we know, okay, that comes with its own issues. Yes. Babies that are born with it, the systems are a little vulnerable. Exactly. But for so, the rest of us. So for the rest of us, the biggest contributor right now is our Western lifestyles. Yeah. It's our increasing body mass index, our little bit of increased weight that we're putting on in the middle it's the type of foods that we're eating. It's our habits. Mm. It's our stresses. So, you know, when we, like I said, when we think of it as a simple pump plumbing mechanism, it could be something that takes the food down there's a problem with. So your esophagus is not moving the food nicely that's down. Happened, that's what happened with my husband. That's exactly. That's what it is. I need to have that procedure, yes. Yes. Yeah, so that's where motility is an issue. And so you're not having that clearing mechanism where food is pushed down with gravity and muscular motions down into the stomach. Mm -hmm. You could have that valve be affected, which should be controlling the one-way movement of food. And that could be because someone has developed a hiatus hernia. And you're going to hear that a lot. People say, I have a hernia. Mm. So mm. that's where mm. we, the, the stomach should sit below the diaphragm and in the abdomen. But sometimes it migrates and moves upwards. And so the proximal or the first part of the stomach moves up into the chest. Ooh. So that valve should be assisted by the diaphragm, which separates the stomach mm. and the chest. And now it's not aligned anymore. So the movement of, or, or the, at least the clearing that happens, but you don't have that stomach closing off the way it should. Yeah. So you have movement of that acidic gastric contents and the bile and all of those things that shouldn't be coming up, coming up because we don't have a functional valve. Some medications make that valve like slack mm -hmm. and it causes it to be a little bit leaky. Medication like? So in asthmatics, some of the inhalers. Okay. In high, patients that have high blood pressure, some antihypertensives like calcium channel blockers, food that we eat, things like peppermint, oh. caffeine, tea, coffee, yeah, yeah. chocolate, all of that decreases the t tone of that valve, leaving it to be lax and not leaving it to do its job badly. So we have acid coming up and causing that symptoms. And then if we have the stomach not emptying the way it should, yeah. you have more food sitting there, distending that, that stomach, exceeding its capacity as a reservoir, mm. and then it defeats that valve. So it's going to push, because of that increased pressure, yeah. push the acidic contents all the way up. So as a doctor or as a GP, gastroenterologist, even a pharmacist, maybe we should be thinking what exactly are these risk factors that yeah. are driving these patients to have these yeah. symptoms so that we don't only throw medication and say, oh, lose weight or do all of that. Yeah. But we must be dealing with these background factors so mm. that these patients mm. can have a good result and a long term mm. result. Mm. So how do you know then that this is now time? I mean, you, you have that bit of heartburn, like you say, you take the, the relief. How do you know that now is the time to actually go and see someone like you? So the first thing, and, and any gastroenterologist or even a physician would go through and ask you, do you have alarm symptoms? So the alarm symptoms that worry about is significant weight loss. So loss of like 5 to 10% of your weight and you didn't intend to lose that weight. Mm. If you have bleeding, so whether you have vomiting of mm -hmm. blood, or when you go to the toilet mm. to actually mm. look at your, your stool, mm. and if it, there is blood or if it looks black, it's often a sign there could be blood loss happening in the upper gastrointestinal oh. tract. Uh, difficulty swallowing and pain on swallowing that persists for more than a few days. If you, someone says, well, you're looking a bit pale or you have a blood test which shows anemia. All of these are a sign that you need to be worked up and looked at a bit more urgently. But other than that, in, if you're having reflux symptoms that are persistent more than one or two episodes for a month, that you need to be 
having Gaviscon in your cupboard and you buy it by the truckload or you have a Rennie's or Eno's on hand, yeah. you know, they, there's a better solution. You shouldn't just be treating the symptoms. We should be looking for the cause and giving you effective medication for a shorter time mm. and, and deal with the cause and give you proper advice in terms of diet and lifestyle to try and get you to have a better quality of life. Because yeah. ultimately, all of this affects quality of life. Yeah, and sometimes it's a bit of discipline, right? Absolutely. Yes, I keep telling him that, but he's like, if I'm going to go, I'm going to go. You know you know how they going to be, but um, they'd rather have the things that they like. But what are the dangers, Doc? And let's talk about the, the real dangers here. I mean, can can things like this, you know, acid issues, not just reflux, having that, that off pH in your mm. body, things like cancer, what are the other illnesses that this can actually lead to? So long-standing, if we talk about gastroesophageal reflux, can actually lead to in certain populations and the right populations in terms of the risk factors. Uh, long-standing reflux in white males over the age of 50s, mm. smokers and who are overweight, mm. are very much at risk of, of esophageal cancer and a certain type of esophageal cancer that's increasing in prevalence worldwide. Yeah. Okay, And that's where Barrett's esophagus, in case anybody's ever had that mentioned to them, mm. comes in. Um, you can have structural changes where these patients actually need intervention to get them to swallow properly. Chronic inflammation anywhere in the body is yeah. a problem, okay? And it leads to poor quality of life, mood issues, increase in your cancer everywhere, uh, cardiovascular risk factors. Um, so all of that can contribute, and it all holds hands because reflux is more common in patients that are overweight, which is then associated with diabetes, high blood pressure, gout. So when we think, talk about things that are off or pH, it's because these conditions hold hands and mm. they commonly mm. coexist. And all of these conditions increase your risk of heart attacks. Yeah. Strokes, and sometimes it feels cancer. like a heart attack, right? When you Absolutely. have the reason. A lot of people, and that's the mistake also. People misconstrue. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so it, seriously, you said white males. Yes. When, when you, wh why particularly white males with that uh, type it, of cancer? We think it's a genetic, uh, okay. there's genetic factors that come in, and they definitely are genetic factors when it comes to reflux. So often if we, we ask patients, do you ha does anyone in the family experience these symptoms you do? And they can describe that they do. And we will um, investigate it a bit more aggressively if we know that there's a family history that exists okay. like this. We will oh. we will suggest endoscopy a bit more often, or you know, at, at a more aggressive treatment and monitoring. Okay, so we're talking uh, acid, acid reflux, all things that have to do with acid in your body and illnesses that can arise from that. And our guest today is Dr. Rina Kara, specialist physician, gastroenterologist. She's here to answer your questions. I see quite a few calls have been coming through, so we're ready to to take some of those uh, if uh, if we can. But before we get to those, uh, there was a very interesting uh, WhatsApp that came through, Doc. Somebody wanting to know about acid reflux and menopause. Is there a link? Is there anything in particular about... So not really. It, so where the factors could come in is, yes, sometimes hormonal changes can lead to oh, the way the, 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 the gastric system functions, mm. but also menopause is associated with maybe a little bit of increased weight gain, which leads to an increased amount of reflux. Um, you know, dietary changes might have happened. So there's no hard and fast mm. association, mm. but it's just that so many of these factors coexist together that as you get older, as you put on more weight, the incidence of reflux goes up. Okay. So it does make sense. It's everything else that comes with it with that it. could lead to that. Yeah. All right. We've got Tato in Randburg, and I'm hoping I'm going to say this right. Tato has a, a helicobacter pylori. I'm sure you know what this is, pylori, pylori, and uh, and, and she wants to know uh, about that. Tato, let, uh, I'll let you ask the question. Hi there. Hi, Vank. How are you doing? 
Uh, I'm good, thanks. Sorry, I thought you were a she for some reason. <laughs> it sounded like a procedure that you know that us us ladies often would have to go through. But the doc is yours. You can ask your question. Yeah. So I've had this thing. Thanks, doctor. Um, I have this infection called helicop- Helicobacter pylori, right? Mm-hmm. And I was hospitalized for about two weeks, and I did an endoscopy and a gastroscopy. And they took some samples from my uh, stomach and lining. And that's how they picked it up. And then they tried to fix it. I don't know how they tried to fix it. Because we don't antibiotics, three types of antibiotics, but it looks like it's back. So now how does one treat it? And I think maybe for the listeners, just explain what this H. pylori bacteria infection is. And then how then does one then manage it from home? Because I can't afford to go to the hospital every two weeks Mm. um, for... Okay. Hi, Tato. Thanks for the call. Thank you. So, I'll, I'll, listen on the, I'll listen on the radio. Thanks, Tato. Right. So, H. pylori, as, he, as we would commonly refer to it, is a very common organism that exists in South Africa. It's mm. very common in third world countries, but it's prevalent worldwide. Um, H. pylori, what it does is it affects and infects the gastric, the, the gastric mucosa, so the lining of the stomach, which predisposes you to a lot of infe- uh, inflammation within the stomach, as well as ulcers. It's one of the commonest causes of peptic ulcer disease. Mm. Now, the importance of identifying H. pylori when it's present in the stomach is that it can lead to a pre-malignant condition. It's one of the commonest causes of gastric cancer worldwide. Mm. And in specific populations, like in certain areas of mainland China, they have very high prevalence of it, and it, there's, a, there's absolutely a causative link between the two. So when we make this diagnosis, and there's different ways to make the diagnosis. Often the way in South Africa we do it is where you undergo an endoscopy, where they do biopsies, and they either do a test that's within the scope mm. room, or they send it off for testing that comes back positive. Now, because it's a pre-malignant entity, what we do is we have to er- eradicate it. It is done with two different antibiotics plus an acid suppression treatment on the, or called a proton pump inhibitor. And the recommended duration is anything between 7 and 14 days. 14 better, but 7 is re- used by some mm, doctors. Mm. And majority of cases, the infection is cleared. So when you do have the infection still being present after taking the antibiotics, it's either that that organism is now resistant to yeah. that antibiotic or whatever has exposed you to it previously, you've had that exposure again and you've had a reinfection. So it's fecal-oral transmission, okay? Contaminated water, contaminated oh, food. It's prevalent. Okay. It's everywhere. Um, so it's, there's nothing that you can do to prevent it. There's nothing that you can do to treat it at home. And I wouldn't recommend blanketly to anybody experiencing abdominal pain or reflux or having ulcers to go out and take a two, these two antibiotics for two weeks because antibiotics come with their own set of complications. Yeah. So the, the ways that the diagnosis is made, like I said, is endoscopy. But there's also a stool test that can be done, which is not as accurate. And in other parts of the world, they have something called a breath test that they can do. So even though you feel like, oh, I don't know if it's cleared or not, most of the time it's not necessary to repeat that endoscopy. We can just do a stool test to okay. see if it's cleared. But symptomatically, after about two months, these patients do feel better. So okay. that's how we assume that the infection has cleared. Okay, so it's not something you have to live with no, for definitely the rest of not. your life. Definitely it is something. Not. Yes. All right, so so just just remind Tato what 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 it is he actually can do to go and check. 
that so, this is not there anymore without having to go through an unpleasant endoscopy. Okay. So not that unpleasant if well, they're making you sleep okay, for okay. it. Okay. <laughs> so when you wake up, it's still sore. <laughs> uh, so it, a stool test. That's what okay, we have in test. our... Okay. It's called a H. pylori antigen test. Okay. Like I said, not as accurate, but that's the option if you okay. want to avoid an endoscopy. Okay. All right. We have a voice note coming through. Let's take a listen to that. Good afternoon. My name is Tansi. Uh, uh, I would like to find out if uh, the, the, the level of acid in the system uh, can result in the, the development of polyps in the stomach. Uh, what actually is the cause of polyps in the stomach? Thank you. Mm. Bye. Polyps in the stomach. Can acid cause that? So not typically acid. So polyps are overgrowth of tissue. Yeah. Okay. And um, polyps can exist anywhere in the gastrointestinal tract. But when we see them in the stomach, there's different appearances and there's different locations that make us think of different things. So you can have precancerous lesions looking or cancerous lesions looking like polyps. And they have a typical appearance that we know what to look, about, look out for, for endoscopy, on endoscopy. The ones that are associated with acid is more commonly associated with the treatment for the acid. Oh. So patients that have been on long-term PPIs uh, or, you know, proton pump inhibitors, yeah. what they develop is at the top part or the fundus of the stomach, almost you think of it as the roof, multiple small polyps of a particular appearance. And when we see that, we assume, well, this patient has been on long-term PPIs, it's a benign condition, mm. and we leave it alone. Mm. But there are certain things that we have to look for in terms of location, size, appearance, history of medication mm. use. Mm. So it's not the acid itself. Okay, so it's the treatment of the acid that can cause certain polyps, but there are polyps that we do worry about. And yeah. when, when do you worry? So single polyps. Uh, like I said, certain appearances, yeah. you know, what we look at and, and we have a way of grading these polyps, measuring the size, the location, whether they're ulcerated or not. What's the family history? How long has they be, have they been there for? Which makes us decide whether we would take them out. And a lot of the time we can take them out during the, the endoscopy procedure or whether the patient needs to be referred onwards to a surgeon or not. Okay. All right. Well, we've got uh, Dr. Rina Kara, specialist physician, gastroenterologist, uh, talking to us about all things acid and acidic, particularly acid reflux, heartburn. And I don't know how you say this. Is it GERD? Gastroesophageal esophageal, am I saying? Esophageal yes. reflux disease. That student is our lesson. Gastroesophageal reflux disease. So if you have uh, any questions, if you want to run anything by her, you can call us on 011 883 or SMS us on 31702. WhatsApp us or send us your voice notes on 072-702-1702. And yes, everybody's had that reflux. Everybody's had that moment where they thought, I'm going to have a heart attack. Well, in our masterclass today, we're talking all things acid. We're talking acid reflux with Dr. Rina Kara, specialist physician and gastroenterologist. I've learned some big words as well uh, today, but we'll go straight to your calls. There's so many of them coming in. Matilda in Fairland, let's chat to you first. Uh, what's happening with you? Hi, Matilda. And are you there? Hi, Matilda. Yes, you've got to start all over again. We missed the, the first couple of seconds. Okay. My husband's in his late 70s, and just before COVID came out, he used to have a bit of tummy cramp, and he had to take Rennie's for reflux and things. Um, we made an appointment with a specialist, but COVID broke out, and everybody said, stay away from doctors, stay away from hospitals. So we didn't go, um, and we carried on, and every now and again, he'd have very violent pains. Anyway, it ended, long story short, he ended up in January uh, being rushed to the hospital, 
um, and they discovered the enormous cancerous growth in the bottom mm. of his colon. Um, it was taken out. He's now got a stoma. He's had his, uh, he has one more chemo session next week, um, wow. and then we'll see. But, yeah, uh, guys, it's scary, and men don't like going to doctors. Yep, absolutely. With the bottom part of their bodies. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, because the doctor said, had we come two years ago, the, the growth wouldn't have, because it has broken through the colon wall. That's why he's having chemo. She said, had he come then, we could have taken it out. She says, but he could have died of COVID then because COVID was still very new and, you know, everybody mm, was scared mm. of it. So it, it was a catch-two situation. But in, in, in hindsight, we should have gone. And my daughter suffers from the H V um, Haley-Bactero. Um, so we thought, yeah, it could be a little bit. You know, you, you always think it's something else. Yeah, It yeah. can't be bad. Yeah, But, yeah. Um, yeah, guys, don't mess with it. We it's not funny. But he's doing well, touch wood. Um, it's not nice and it's a long journey. But yeah, come on, guys, don't be scared of it. Yeah. Doesn't matter where they put the camera, they've yeah. got to find it and yeah. get it up. It's better than going through all the chemo. Matilda, thanks so much. And I think a fair warning there, Doc, Absolutely. is don't ignore it. Yeah. Absolutely. The amount of cases that we've seen coming now that are missed because two years later, now yes. people are comfortable enough to seek medical care. And it's, it's, it, it's upsetting for the patients to hear, had you come sooner, we w- the outcome would be different. Yeah, yeah. So we don't often say it, but that we often yeah, think it. Yeah. And uh, no, over your, if you're over the age of 50 and you've got any new symptoms, whether it's an upper gastrointestinal symptom, severe reflux, pain, bleeding, change in bowel habits, bleeding at the bottom, new pain that you can't explain, hmm. you should be going to see somebody because every guideline out there, whether it's local yeah. or international, is telling you over the age of 50, you've got to be that much more careful. And it's not, if it's not happening just after a hot curry, then, you know, and it's happening all the time, then Absolutely. you need to. All right. Samantha Pretoria has been, been waiting quite a while. Samantha, sorry, sorry to keep you waiting. Um, you have a question no, for the doc. Fine. Yes, I do. Um, can you hear me properly? Yes, we can. Hi, Samantha. Okay, I was diagnosed with a hernia a couple of years ago, but then the medical aid declined me having an operation for it. So the doctor gave me Lencap and Lenamet, and that's what I've been on. It's probably around three years now that I've been using Lencap, Lenamet every single day. And if I do not use it like for two days, I get severe heartburn. But yesterday, I got this very severe cramps. I've been getting small cramps for the last week, but it, the cramps were so bad yesterday and then I took citrus soda and it calmed it down. Mm. I want to find out if these two things are related and yes. if I should go back to the doctor now. Absolutely. So the citrus soda helped because citrus soda is an alkalinizer and so it helped to neutralize the acid which gave you quick symptom relief but it's actually not treating the background issue of either a, an excessive amount of acid production or the anatomical problem what your, which is what your hernia is. So uh, yeah. the surgical surgery that you're discussing is something mm-hmm. called a laparoscopic hiatal hernia repair. So it's called a Nissen fund application. Yes, the words get bigger. Well, yes, yeah. that doesn't make it any better. Not That's at okay. all, not right. at all. But it is a select, it, it's a surgical procedure that if used in the correct patient, so it's the right patient, the right setting, the right time, and by the correct doctor, can have a great response for these patients because then they don't have to use a PPI anymore. They don't have heartburn. Their reflux complications in the form of precancerous lesions are less. And so it is a laparoscopic, so keyhole surgery, and it's, it's not going to be the solution for everybody. 
But it, if in the right setting, it will give these patients really good relief because 90% of the patients that are selected correctly have symptom relief 10 years down the line. Okay. So if she's getting in inadequate symptom relief, Samantha, if you're getting inadequate symptom relief on the LEN cap and if you're taking the PPI correctly, which is something we'll talk about, um, then the surgical option is actually a good one for you. And your doctor should explore that and do the further testing to be able to motivate to the medical aid for it. All right, Samantha, you got that? Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks for your call. All right. Irene in Alberton has also been waiting a while. Irene, hi there. Hi. Good afternoon. Hi. How can we help? Hi. Can I just ask Dr. Cara? Mm -hmm. I've been diagnosed with a malabsorption of bile and I've been put on Questrain Light. Can she just tell me if I can take it on an ongoing basis? So, yes, you can. So the malabsorption of bile is happening lower down in the intestine. Um, the Questran does help with the side effects of having that bile sitting in the distal part of the small intestine and in the colon. You can take it on a chronic basis as long as you can tolerate the side effects that come with it. Uh, knowing that, you know, sometimes you might have to have blood tests done to look for certain nutrient deficiencies and maybe just take some vitamin supplementation so that it doesn't develop. But it is safe as long as you can tolerate the flatulence and the bloating and all mm. of that that comes with it. But if the trade-off is good and if your malabsorption was causing diarrhea, you probably would ha- be happily taking the question and dealing with the side effects. All right, Thank Irene. All right, Thank that you helps mean. you. All right, Zunaid in Pretoria East, your question. Hi, Hi Zunaid. And to your doctor. Um, I, so I would have um, some indigestion when I eat hot food and I am drinking alcohol, um, but an Eno or some Gaviscon sorts that out. But what I've found out is happening if I eat curry and only curry, mm. so not with anything that's not a curry, I tend to have some phlegm um, about two minutes after eating the meal. And once I've coughed that out, um, then it's fine. But the phlegm is not accompanied by any burning of any sort. Um, mm. Is that cause for concern? So not really cause for concern unless it's something happening on a chronic basis. Um, even though you're not experiencing the heartburn, like I said, only 70% of patients that actually have heart uh, have the reflux have the heartburn. So you're having what we call the extra esophageal effects of the reflux disease. Um, you're probably experiencing symptoms more uh, when you have the alcohol because alcohol does two things. It's a, it's a double whammy. It increases the acid production within the stomach and it decreases the tone of that sphincter that we spoke about, the lower esophageal sphincter. So that's why yeah. you're getting the reflux and you're actually feeling the heartburn together with that alcohol. So the reflux is probably that much more in that setting. All right, Zanae, so does it help you? Don't have alcohol when you're eating curry. <laughs> <laughs> don't have alcohol, period. <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you that. <laughs> okay. All right, Zanae, hopefully that helps you and you get the right combination. You get it right. Derek in Mulbarton, good afternoon. Hi, how are you? We're good, Derek. How can we help? Yeah, man, you know, I, I actually don't have heartburn per se. Mm. But, um, you know, I suffer from arthritis. And um, I've actually had uh, hip replacements on both my legs. Uh, but mm. in between the hip replacements, I used to take this tetrophenic to ease the pain. And um, I think it was an after effect or a side effect that my, my shoe becomes so acidic that it, it burns the skin under my armpits in my groin area. Really? And this, yes, and, and the, it, it, it's persisted, even though I don't take the tetrophenic anymore. And now I'm, I, I'm suffering from oedema. So, so from the, the knee down to the feet, the, my legs swell with, 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 with water. 
Now, what's happening now is that the, 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 the water is oozing out of my skin and, 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 and wetting my socks. Like, in a, in a, in a, now my socks will be soaking wet. And in the fact, it, it starts with a small blister, and now they've grown into big sores. And I'm, I'm, I'm assuming the acidic content in the water is actually eating away my flesh. I don't know if the doctor has any advice for me. Wow, I'm, okay. Well, I've never heard of this, but the doc has because she's nodding yes. All right. Hi, Derek. So, um, um, I think that that you're ascribing way too many symptoms to the acidity. It sounds like there's other issues at play here. The, the swelling of the feet... Um, is a cause of concern, especially since you've had surgery to both your knees. Uh, when did the surgery no, happen? Hips, hips. Oh, both hips. hips. When, did, when yeah, were the surgeries? I, I, I had one in 2008, then the next one in 2010, and then one in 2019. Okay. So the concern Sorry, is... 2020, 2020, okay. yeah. So, of yeah. course, the concern is that whether there was something that's during the procedure as a complication of it, in terms of the edema that has developed... Also, it could be something like your heart. It could be the kidneys because you're describing mm. leg swelling mm. that is involving mm. both your legs. So the blisters and the oozing that's happening from it is probably because the skin is being stretched by the subcutaneous fluid and fluid that shouldn't be in the third space or places or outside the vessels. So my advice mm. to you is don't describe this to acidity. Um, you could have had an issue from the non-steroidals, the diclofenac that you were taking. It definitely does mm-hmm. give you ulcers. It does can give you reflux. But this, the, the other issues are probably a separate issues that your physician or your doctor should explore with you. Okay. So, mm-hmm. Derek, I think you need to go have this all checked out all Absolutely. over again. All right? Don't just okay, uh, yeah, attribute it to what you're taking at the moment. All right. Uh, another voice note coming through. Let's have a listen. Good day, my name is Tracy. I just want to um, find out, um, can certain type of food trigger the acid reflux? Mm. And what can we do about it without having to take um, um, Eno and all these things? Um, I just want to know. Thank you, because sometimes I feel um, the heartburn, sometimes I have a chest pain, but some other times I don't have a chest pain. And I'm really actually tired of taking Gaviscon. Thank you. I'm sure. Well, food, we know, Doc, directly. Absolutely. Of course, yeah. So there's certain categories of food that you need to be careful of. So foods with high acidic contents, it makes sense. The acidity is what hurts you. If you eat eat acidic-type foods, it's going to exacerbate the symptoms. So things like citrus, pineapple, Mm. tomato, vinegar. Yeah, not all veggies are good for you in in that way also. We we learned that, yeah. Yeah, so it, it, it all depends on how your body reacts to it. Uh, we spoke about caffeine and mm. the, the coffee and yeah. the tea actually is going to give you an issue. And green tea can give you an yeah. issue too. Even though yeah, you think yes, it's herbal, yes. it contains caffeine. Very high caffeine, yes. Absolutely. Fatty foods, because the oil from fatty foods sits as a layer on top. So that's more likely to give you chest pain. And so that pizza and that takeout is going to come Dairy? back. Dairy can, mm-hmm. because if you think of the, food, the fat content in dairy, so you'll often hear as a home remedy, I take a little bit of milk and I feel great. Or plain yogurt. Or plain, plain yogurt. Does that, that th- can help, though. That can help. Mm. The milk acts as a buffer, but it can also exacerbate your symptoms because that fat content can worsen the reflux that happens. Um, then you, chocolate has a trifecta of problems. It's got caffeine, mm. it's got fat, mm-hmm. and it's got cocoa. Mm. So any chocolate? Any chocolate. Even dark chocolate? Yes, especially dark chocolate. Oh, if wow, you think okay. of the amount of, of cocoa, cocoa, it is. Sorry, guys, just when you thought dark chocolate was good for you. Peppermint, okay? Yeah. So you heard John mention yes. the, after, yes. the after dinner mints. That's, that's, if you're having chocolate and mint, it's going to really hurt afterwards. 
But there are certain things that you can do in terms of your diet to try and get the symptoms better. Um, because patients often don't want to be committed to a long-term medication therapy protocol. Mm. So the, medica- the foods that can help is high-fiber foods because okay. they make you feel fuller. You're less likely to overeat. They're often lower in fat. Mm. Uh, alkaline type. Give foods. us an example quickly when you're talking about high fiber. So, so people know. brown bread, breakfasts like high fiber, cereal, all bran, um, your root vegetables, things like beetroots, okay. um, you know, uh, oatmeal, sweet potatoes, sweet potatoes, okay. excellent green beans, mm. celery. Okay. All okay. of that contain a lot of fiber. Okay. Alkaline type foods, bananas, melons. Uh, fennel seeds. Mm. So okay. an old Indian remedy yes. is that you chew fennel seeds if you're feeling a little bit of indigestion. Okay. There's basis to it. Okay. Um, and nuts can sometimes help, especially to to neutralize that acid to bring that pH more to That's a surprising. seven. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also then we talk about your anti-inflammatory type foods. And that's where things like ginger and turmeric come in. And that's weird because ginger you think would burn and cause more, but it actually releases. Ginger has anti-inflammatory okay. process, uh, properties as well as alkaline type properties. And then foods that are rich in water, cucumber, um, watermelon, because what it does is it dilutes the acid okay. out. Cucumber with or without the skin? makes no difference. The is skin it? is going to give you the fiber that you okay. need. Because I thought skin gives people gas, the cucumber skin. I heard that. So in certain patients, okay. and that's what the more likely the patients that have irritable bowel syndrome. Okay, that, that helps. Okay, all right. Another voice note coming through. Let's take a listen. Oh, okay. We don't have that one. But a, a couple more calls. Tabo in Soweto. Hi there. Hi, Tabo. I would like to know if this acid reflex, the main cause, is it because there's too much acid in your system or less acid because I'm over 55, but now I have, you know, this acid reflex, and I believe when it's, when it's hyper, it's when it's a lot, but I believe when you grow older, it's when you have less acid. Okay, so, hi, Tabo. So, there's actually an increase in, in incidence and prevalence of reflux disease the older you get, especially after the age of 40. It could be associated mm. with the other conditions that are existing at the time. Maybe you've put on a little bit of weight, especially around the middle. Um, and actually, if you're over the age of 50 and you have new onset acid type symptoms, they warrant a workup. They warrant being, taking the treatment. And if the treatment doesn't work over a finite period to say, like, I've taken it for two to four weeks. And if you still have the persistence of acid symptoms, it's our recommendation that we actually say, go in speak to a physician, surgeon, gastroenterologist, and, and let them have a look to make sure it's nothing more sinister lurking in the background. All right, Tabo, does that help you? Yes, I, I think that can help me, but I, I went for a, a, a surgeon where they checked if there's too much acid in my system, but they found that it's not that much of the acid. But I still have that acid, uh, you know, hyper when I'm asleep, I'm like something is choking me at night, and mm-hmm. I'll jump and scream and so forth. Wow. The only way to properly assess whether you have too much acid is to actually have a 24-hour acid study done, and that's not very often that it's done. So, I mean, if your, your doctor is going to be a, do a proper assessment, they, they would do a 24-hour pH study to see how many times you reflux, how often do you reflux, and what causes it. All right, okay, Tabo. All right, thanks for the call. All right, Taz in Randberg. Hi there. Hi, I want in a great topic, by the way. I wanted to know, is there a correlation between a person who had a uh, heart, let's just say heart attack and heart failure to acid reflux? Is there like, is there any correlation? Or I know it's a two different organs, but can it actually affect? 
Okay. Hi, Taz. So Hi. There's, there are ways that these two, some, these two entities can coexist and contribute to each other. Okay. Heart failure, again, it's present often in your patients that are older, overweight, hypertensive, diabetic, gout. And all of those entities are more likely to, to lead to reflux disease because of your body habitus and your habits, uh, more common in patients that smoke mm-hmm. and, and these, that, and smoking might be associated with your heart issues. Um, there is, there is, uh, an increase with, with BMI and heart failure, but also there's certain medications when they give for heart diseases. If you put on long-term aspirin therapy, for example, it actually does lead to reflux, peptic ulcer disease, and an increased amount of acid. So that's the way those two entities can coexist in the same patient. Okay, Taz, does that answer your question? It does. Hello? Yes, hi. Sorry, hi. I might say, though, the, the, like my mom is definitely not obese. She's not on a... Prior to her heart attack, she's never been on any sugar tablets. Basically, she's never had any of those chronic diseases. So, obviously, it's quite a shock to the family, and I'm just trying to understand. But thank you. I'll definitely, maybe it's worth going to a gastroenterologist and get it checked out to see how we can help her. And, yeah, certain medications actually can lead to reflux. So, like we spoke about calcium channel blockers in high blood pressure patients and patients with heart disease. If you're taking potassium supplements, if you're taking iron tablets, if all the ladies are taking treatments for osteoporosis like bisphosphonates, these actually can lead to damage to the esophagus and the feeling of reflux and the chest pain that's so typical. Okay, Taz. Uh, thank uh, you. All right, thanks, thanks so much. Uh, Ismail in Indonesia, hi there. Hello, uh, afternoon, how are you? We're good, thanks. How can we help? Uh, I was suffering with uh, a little bit of uh, uh, burning acid and some doctor put me on pentosid uh, for one month. Now, my for one month, by the end of this week, my pentosid is going to be finished. So I want to know, can I carry on or what it or, or can I stop it and then when I get again a reflux, can I carry on with it? So you can do it. Your doctor has probably tried a trial of PPIs, Ismail. And if this works and you get symptom relief, if there was inflammation that has healed now, you possibly wouldn't need re- a further treatment for that reflux disease. But reflux disease, 80% of the time, is actually recurrent. So you might need a repeat prescription for that. Um, so and I mean, sorry, you gave it to me for one month. Yes. Now I want to, after one month, now I try another one for one month, or can I stop it? So you could stop it and see whether your symptoms have gone. And if they recur, okay. then you can start yes. it again. The important thing with PPIs is that you must be taking it correctly so that it actually can yes. do the job it's supposed to yes. do. Yes, told me I'm going to take uh, 5 o'clock in the evening uh, for one hour and then I mustn't eat. So for 30 days, I've been doing okay. like so, so that's not actually how we'd recommend that you take it. It should be yes. taken first thing when you wake up in the morning, ideally like when yes. you're brushing your teeth, at least yes. half an hour to an hour before your first meal being breakfast. So it needs to oh, be no, taken on an empty stomach in the morning for it to do its job. Oh, okay. No, you told, so you told me at night, so now I've been thinking like it for one month now. That is agreeable. Okay. I think that so, uh, um, we are running out of time and the line isn't great there, but maybe just very quickly repeat how, how that medication should be taken okay. very, very quickly. So, so, so since proton pumps are prescribed like Smarties everywhere, yeah. it's important that you to, to get the benefits without getting the side effects uh, and, and be using it appropriately. So you should be taking it on an empty stomach 30 to 60 minutes before your breakfast. Um, and the reason is because it's there to switch off the acid pumps. So the acid pumps in your stomach go on when you think of food, smell food, 
eat your mm. first chew bite. Chew gum. <laughs> chew gum. Yeah. And so you need to get in there before those yeah. pumps are activated. And once they're off, they're off for 24 hours. Okay. But once they're on, they're on for okay. 24 hours. So that's why morning dosing. Well, sadly, Doc, we can't get to everybody, but I think the general uh, gist is there. You've given them the, the general advice. If you're very comfortable, very quickly, just tell them where you are, how you can be reached uh, for them to come and see you. Um, so I'm based at Life Bedford Gardens Hospital out in Bedford View. Um, you can just Google me, find me, and we'll be happy to help and address you, help you with any of these concerns and queries that you might have. And that's Dr. Rina Kara, K-A-R-A. That's where you'll find her. Thank you very much for Thank your time. You, and thanks for helping everybody out.